Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There we go. Perfect. Yeah, Pristine. Yeah, yeah. So Pristine. I'm in my hometown in Birmingham and I'm catching up with a man who I last saw, God, dude, nine months ago. Nine months. Was the last time. And what happened was it was the, I think the penultimate night, the second to last night of the Fireball Tour. And I rode with you guys from whichever city we were in to whichever city we were going. And it was one of those moments, because I always say when I'm on tour, ain't it a shame that you don't really bond with some of the other people on the tour until right at the end. And I hate that, so I always try and fight against that. But right. because that tour was so hectic and there were so many bands, we didn't really get any time, like properly one-on-one -on -one time together until that night. And then sure enough, we rolled into that last show and I was like, fuck, I've only just bonded with Chuck and I wish we'd have done it a lot sooner. But we did right then and there. And uh, that was the last time we hung out, pretty much. Yeah been a little bit a little it, bit it is often the case though on tour do I, you find that i do yeah yeah it's like first day uh, first week or two of school you know you get there and then you know you might guy you think shitty at the beginning might up being your best friend a couple weeks later for the rest of the year you know yeah yeah, yeah. so everybody's always just a little on edge i think and you know has their feathers puffed up a little bit in defense and kind of cautiously seeing if there's anyone nice about you that's know. not you though <laughs> no Definitely you're not, not that guy definitely not but i see it all the time on tour you know you pass some dude for the first three days you're like mm, won't even look at you and then by the, like the end of the tour like you're like you guys are bros you know yeah yeah so it's like, it happens <laughs> i try to be nice most of the time well that <laughs> night we sat up and i felt so bad because i was fucking exhausted and i just i got to about 5 a.m i think and then i was like i've got to turn in i've got to crash but um off the back of the conversation we we're having that night i wanted to kind of carry on from there because for me you guys this is how it sort of leads in is like there's real soul and depth and pain and pathos in your music that i don't think is really there in a lot of what you might call your contemporaries like bands that you guys are lumped in with sure and i love all those bands you're getting a buzz sure sorry i gotta turn no my worries. phone off it's playing music for some reason it's, oh, it's playing solid ground by the <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have this depth and I wanted to, first of all, I guess, get your take on where you would categorize 
Mad Caddies for you as a band musically? Well, first of all, thank you for that. That's that's very flattering. Um, the depth. Where does it come from? Well, we were a, a band, just a rock band, before we were ever a ska band, before we ever knew what ska was. Um, so it started back then in high school. And Sasha, the guitar player, and I got together with our drummer, Todd. Uh, and he ended up leaving the band for about 10 years. But uh, he was there for the first couple records and the, the beginning of the band. And we were just big fans of music, like all music. You know, we, we liked the modern. I mean, everybody was in at that point. It was Nirvana was the top of the charts and Pearl Jam and the whole grunge thing. And, you know, and then we were raised on classic rock, on the Stones and the Beatles and all that. And so we were already big fans of music. We, we wanted to be a rock band, you know. We were freshmen in high school, you know, young lads, 14. Ah, we're going to be the next Rolling Stones, you know, sure. So you three went to school together, right? We did. A yeah. grammar bass player as well. Yeah. He was just a couple years younger, so he didn't join the band until well, about 10 years ago. But, uh, but yeah, he was there for the beginning. He was our, fir our first fan. First guy at our first show. <laughs> <laughs> the only guy. <laughs> right? But, uh, no, he, uh, yeah, so before we started playing ska or punk or had even heard of it, I think we were already ready to, to try to be real musicians and write real songs with pain and emotion and, you know, everything. And so when we discovered ska a year later and Sasha found Fishbone and we discovered the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones and... And, um, and this was even right right before the big Scott explosion happened in Southern California because that didn't really kick in until about 96, 97. And, you know, Sasha started digging these other bands up in like 94, 95. And we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And immediately fell in love with it. And as soon as we heard Fishbone, Mighty Mighty Boston's, No Effects, Sublime, Bad Religion, I was like, okay, you know, this is what we want to do. This is our scene. But I think having that being in a band before that was playing just, you know, rock and grunge and metal and, you know, and pop and stuff kind of gave us maybe a, a different perspective than when we took on this genre. It didn't have to be all like silly songs about silly stuff, you know, that you could actually sing serious, soulful, painful lyrics like over this music and have it be effective, you know. Who's your guy or guys as singers? Neil Young, man. I mean, he, he did it for me. And, you know, Tom Petty. I mean, all these guys before. And this is the only music. This is pre-internet. This is just the records my parents had laying around, you know. And neither my mom or dad played music um, instruments, but they both sang. We, you know, growing up, me and my sister, mom and dad, we'd put on vinyl and, and dance and sing. And always singing in the house. Always. Is that something you've continued as a dad? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Oh, yeah. My son will tell me, and he's three and a half. Papa. So he can tell you now. Oh, yeah. He's been speaking since he was like a year. Uh, Papa, um, please don't sing and play guitar right now. I'm trying to play with my tractors. <laughs> like, okay, buddy. You're encroaching on playing uh, yeah. time. Yeah. Or I'll be, I'll be uh, rocking on his drum kit, and uh, he'll be playing. And he's like, Papa, Papa, just play some jazz right now. It's a little loud. Could you just play some jazz? I'm like, sure, bud. No problem. I'm give him a little... <laughs> Something I love about you, this might sound weird, but I was checking out your Instagram page earlier, and your first description in your bio before singer before musician before any of that is father father absolutely and number like, one job right now that's it right forever yeah <laughs> yeah i had plenty of time to be a selfish you know rock and roll dude in my 20s and 30s and once i became a father it was yeah it changed everything so that is my number one job absolutely. What, what changed inside you when he was born <sighs> yeah you just you can't explain it to anyone that hasn't had children it's a biological change I mean, I haven't seen him in about a week now, and, like, every night I'm having dreams, like, where's Charlie? Shit, I've lost him. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm at the park, and, like, where is he? Oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like, you know, you just, it's, it's in you. It's biologically in you. you know, so. Yeah, that's it, man. Being a I'm father number one and singer-songwriter number two now. Having some troubles at home with, you know, legal stuff, with uh, ex-wife, all that, you know, trying to move my kid away, and it's like thinking i was telling my lawyer <laughs> i'm like okay i've been an original musician in my own band for the last 23 years writing the music i want playing the art i want to play but if it meant that i had to stay home and start a wedding cover band to keep my kid <laughs> and that for you it would probably be I, the most soul destroying I, thing I would, ever right? i would start an all eagles <laughs> cover band and i hate the fucking eagles man i fucking hate them <laughs> And my lawyer starts laughing. He's like, Big Lebowski. Yeah. All right, I got the joke, man. He's like, now I know how passionate you are about, you know, being a father. I'm like, yeah, man. You know, I've been, I took a year and a half off when my son was born and 
didn't tour much at all and just stayed home with them. And, you know, my ex-wife went back to work and I was like, you know, stay at home, dad, stay at home, dad. And, you know, I love it, man. It's like, apart from needing to get out of the house for a couple hours a day and, you know, go do some man stuff, hang out with the boys or whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm completely at peace being home with my son, raising him, being a father. And we live in the country too. So it's don't really have to go anywhere. You know, I live on a ranch and you just hang out with the boy and the playground, ride the bikes, you know, play with toys, do all the stuff three and a half year olds want to do. Did you have a, like a healthy, positive relationship with your dad that you learned how to be a dad from? Absolutely. And I still do. Yeah. I live um, on my, my family has a 24 acre ranch or compound, we call it in the country. And it's two, two different properties. I live on one. My parents live next door with my sister and brother-in-law. So they've got kids. So my parents' house is like Switzerland. We all meet in the middle. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. neutral there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my rules at my house, my sister's rules at her house, but at mom and dad's, it's great. You know? so is that where you've always lived? Uh, I didn't grow up there, but um, we moved there when I was 15. So right when the band was starting and that's where the band actually started in my old bedroom. My dad built the house from scratch and, uh, uh, soundproofed my bedroom so I could have a the band rehearsing there and not bother anyone. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so we started there, and then we also started over at our drummer's parents' um, ranch as well. They had a barn, the pig barn, that we would play in. That basically ended up 20 years later being a fully functional recording studio. So, so yeah, in, in a sense, boys. you've never really left home. Yeah, I did. Well, you know, I did. Um, so when my parents moved, we lived in a, a small you know, a country little neighborhood, you know, we had an apple orchard and a garden and I could walk to school and that was from two to 15. And then from 15 to just a couple years, I lived there. And then I, I moved away at 17. Um, and then I was gone for 13 years, lived all around Santa Barbara and, you know, did the, the youth thing. And I was on tour a lot of the time. So when I'm, I'm 40 years old now, so when I was 30 years old, 10 years ago, um, I moved back to the country, back to the family home and bought some land there. And yeah, it's been, been great. Did you ever go to college or anything like that? Uh, I did briefly. Um, I don't think I ever even finished a semester because right when I started college and I was just taking music classes and archaeology, like Indiana Jones, fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then we got... Was signed. that the inspiration for that course as well, literally? Because that movie was so huge at that time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody wanted to be an archaeologist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it was either musician or archaeologist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come on. And then you realize you can't be around the globe fucking with a leather jacket. <laughs> exactly. It's like rock and roll it is. No, you're like <laughs> digging a hole somewhere and you're <laughs> scraping dust off bones. But yeah, so 10 years ago, back to the country, never look back. And you know, I get enough of the city being on the road, you know, for 90 days a year. So, so. How did it get started for you guys then? Because you've been with Fat Records since... Yeah, we got signed in 98, right? 96, we got signed. And then Quality Softcore came out in spring of 97, and we went on tour. So we recorded Quality Softcore, our first record. It was just supposed to be a demo. We all borrowed a couple hundred bucks from our parents collectively and raised a couple grand and went to the local studio in Santa Barbara and cut these tracks over like, gosh, it was four days, five days max. I think I had one day of vocals to sing, maybe two. And we thought we were just recording a demo. And literally two days after we finished it, um, Fat Mike called Sasha. Really? <laughs> yeah. Out of the blue. And it, it was because Joey Cape, Lagwagon, they'd been recording at that studio too. They're from Santa Barbara as well. But we'd never met any of those guys. We were you know, all 10 years younger. And um, he came in and dude was put in the final mix. He's like, oh, this sounds good. Who's this? Like, oh, Mad Caddy. Or we didn't have a name yet, actually. Uh, we were called Divey League back then. And uh, he just goes, oh, Fat Mike's looking for a ska band to sign. I'm going to send this on up. And Mike called us two days later. Hey, hey, Sasha, it's Fat Mike. And he Sasha thought it was me fucking with him. He's like, shut up, Chuck, <laughs> what do you want? And then he's like, no, nah, it's Fat Mike. And then he recognized his voice from, like, videos and stuff. And he's like, oh, hey. He's like, yeah, yeah, I just got your record. I want to sign you guys. <laughs> and we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> and he came down, like, a few days later and took us out to dinner and signed us, bought us a van and some gear and put us on the road. And that was it. And that's been it ever since. That's been it ever since. Yeah. 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 It's pretty wild. Has he been like a serious mentor and a friend to you guys over the various ages and stages of your life and career? Oh, absolutely. I considered him a, a dear friend, uh, a mentor, uh, you know, a role model musically and business wise for sure. His personal life and drug use, eh, maybe not so much, but <laughs> I do worry about him in that aspect. Yeah. Well, now I do, yeah. He didn't even try drugs till he was like 28, and I don't do drugs. I mean, I, I smoke weed and drink beer, that's it. I read that. I read that he 
rationalized it by going, look, if I'm going to get into drugs, I'm young, it's going to ruin my brain. So I'm going to become successful first. Yeah, he made his first couple million and then became a cokehead. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Which is kind of actually probably the worst time to do it. Right, right. <laughs> but now he's, he's doing okay. He's fine, man. We just, we, we all worry about him a little bit. But he's a, you know, he, he everyone knows their limits, right? So. Does he? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I've working with Mike for the last twenty two years now. You know, it's it's he's a really, really unique, unique individual, especially when it comes to lyrics and melodies and writing songs and you know just thinks uh, it's always nice to have his opinion when we're working on a project you know we respect it and sometimes i'm like ah fuck that sucks that's stupid but you know so are half of my ideas (laughs) his lyricism for me is so cutting and funny and i mean he's the king of puns isn't he and he's also just he's got that eye and that I liken his style of humor to South Park a lot, only because I discovered no effect around the time that South Park came out. And what they have in common sure. is they both will send up, criticize, parody the left and the right. And, and they'll yeah. highlight the hypocrisy at both ends of the political and social scale. And I've always Absolutely. really enjoyed that about them. Totally. I, I completely agree. You know, because it's. Yeah, there's no black and white. There's no left and right. There's you know, there's there's really just the the middle, because <laughs> we all I, it was like uh, what I was reading some article a while ago about here in your country when they you know a couple hundred years ago it was commonly believed that you know royal blood was superior, and that you know anyone not born of royal blood was inferior mentally, physically, everything, and it wasn't until a few hundred years ago, I don't know what, it might even have been like 400 years, 300 years, 200 years, I don't know. But some lord or whatever decided to do some experiment where at some town fair here in England, he had guessed the weight of this cow. You know, just a simple thing, guess the weight of this cow. And they only gave you, look, for the people that had no education or anything, they just said, okay, to guess it, just picture, well... If these two stones weigh this much and this, you know, bucket of grain weighs this much, we'll give you a few hints, then then I'll kind of help you add up. And what they found, and this is true today, is that the right answer was the common sum of everyone's answer. Some people were way off to the, the left, law of average, way over to the right. But the law of average proved to be correct that mo- if they got enough people to guess, then the, the most people would guess close to the right answer. And that's the same with politics and everything when you, in a life, you know, that's why we do better as a community when we all work together to solve problems, you know, and it goes back to how much is this fucking cow weigh, you know, and we're all equal. No one, you know, of course, some people are, are brighter and better at math than others and other, but everyone has a place in society. And that's, I think the, what, uh, no effects represents as well as South Park is that, yeah, the people on the left are just as crazy on the extreme as the assholes on the right, you know, it's where we all meet is the middle, the common ground. Hey, what do we all need and what we what can we all agree on? You know? Do you think that both sides are forgetting the middle? They are, they are, yeah. And the middle is almost like dissolving amongst the madness of both it, sides. It, it is, it? yeah. Well, because, you know, well, at least in our country, the left, the old left became what like Republicans were 20 years ago. The yeah. right, and now the right, the extreme right has moved so far. And then the extreme left has moved so far that there's like, yeah, most of us are just kind of waving our dicks in the middle going, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to common fucking decency? You know, you look back at shit from the election in our country from, you know, when Obama was running in McCain and you got people going, but he's a Muslim. And John McCain sits up there and goes, no, he's not a Muslim. He's a Christian. But even if he was a Muslim, it doesn't matter. He's a good man. You shouldn't be scared of him. You shouldn't be scared of foreigners. And now you got, you know, the orange head up there going, starting a, a fascist fucking civil war in our country. It's insane, isn't it's it? It's insane. Did you see and it's the happening gigantic... here with Brexit. It's the same shit. And now they're yeah. finding out that the Russians were just involved as fucking Brexit as they were with getting Trump. They were all behind it. They were behind all those fucking Facebook ads that fucking make all these poor, uneducated, fucking pissed off people mad at foreigners for taking the jobs that they don't want anyway. So, And you can understand 
you can understand the frustration with people like that that feel so marginalized and underrepresented underrepresented sorry you can understand that anger and that pain and that confusion completely and understanding and, to and, I, and I empathize have someone with to blame because it feels what's happening here in Britain and in, in America people feel like they're losing their identity like oh we there's there's going to be no white country America there's going to be no white country America anymore it's like yeah, that will always be there, but it's not going to be the same. Stuff always changes, you know. I mean, white men only make up thirty percent of the United States now. So is what, that is that what yeah. it is? So why are they ninety percent in power in the government? Old white men, you know, when women make up half of our country, but they're completely unrepresented. You know, represented. Excuse me. Do you still think that women should rule the world? For three personal weeks, experience for, for, three, for, for, for three weeks of the month I think women are allowed to rule the world and they have to take a break for that week but no because there's there is something yes I, I believe that I believe it needs to be equal I think there should be women should be equally represented in politics as men because they are half and I and I, yes absolutely and they're the peacemakers aren't they a lot of the time and they're mm-hmm. the well, the mothers, it goes back to that. It goes back to the mothers of the community keeping the peace. You know, and we have a saying, I'm sure it's a proverb all around the world. But yeah, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it can't just be one or two people. You need everyone. You need the help of everyone to educate and teach a young child how to love and be empathetic and be considerate and be compassionate. You know, these are, these are things that are taught and learned. You know, and when you, like when you see someone acting like an asshole, they learn that they from someone. They learn that from their parents. Yeah. You can't, I don't blame that person. I don't say they've got a wicked soul. They were just born evil. It's like, you know, apart from maybe like the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world, not many people are born evil. It's all learned. I was watching a documentary on him the other night randomly. Ugh. That's a fucking crazy story, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't know too much about it. It's dark. Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's darkness everywhere, but, you know, you've especially for me and traveling and my band traveling the world for the last 20 years 95% of the people you meet are just lovely and happy and are friendly and would give you the shirt off their back if they if they could or had to to help you you know I mean most people really are 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 lovely and they're just we're all just experiencing this human experience (laughs) what do you make of the uh hey sexy what's up how you doing <laughs> what I'm here, did you? I'm here for the interview. So, <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of the whole reaction to the Vegas thing with Mike? Um, because that was overblown, way out. Of yeah, no, the media. The only people that should have been offended by that were people in Las Vegas that yeah. were affected by that tragedy. And you know, my my hearts go out to them. And and that was a really fucked up thing for them to say. But people make mistakes like that all the time. And they're a comedic band, you know. Their their humor is super dark. We know that, and they just they just made a mistake, and it happens all the time. And they were sorry. And I think the fake outrage from people around was more offensive than you know what they said. Certainly, far more hypocritical. Than far more hypocritical. Than they've ever said. Like, yeah. You know, Nofax has been doing that kind of that humor. Kind of humor forever, and they've done way darker things. Way worse. It was a perfect storm of the wrong time and the absolutely like worst thing you can say to that particular audience totally yeah you know with with everything else that's going on in the world too that sort of just people are very sensitive to anything gun related right now anything well and sensitive to anything anything really yeah Yeah. everyone is hyper pc sensitive the whole world but, but i think that yeah the people who are making the biggest deal of it weren't actually highlighting the fact that no effects has been doing this since the 80s this is who they are yeah, you know, so it's dark comedy, it, and, it, and, it, and it just it became way bigger than it ever needed to become. And I mean, literally millions of dollars were lost from like all the bands that were booked, including us. You know, we yeah. we lost like four shows that we had been had planned on playing for months and months. It completely screwed us. You know, we make a quarter million dollars per show. <laughs> no, we make tonight. You making that? <laughs> we Boom! Make, we make a quarter million pence per show. <laughs> pennies. We make pennies. So. All of our pennies have to add up just to keep our ship rolling. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Our numbers are so freaking tight, tight. Yeah. Just for us to make a couple hundred bucks a day to pay our rent or whatever, because we have a big band, and you know, 
a lot of people, a lot of mouths to feed. We're not no effects or anything. We're still just like mid-level band, you know. Some places we do really well. Other places we're, you know, only a few hundred people are coming out. So when you're doing a tour, all those numbers have to add up. Well, that, that screwed us too. So even we got screwed. So many people got screwed from 30 seconds of some, somebody saying the wrong thing on stage. Which well, is I saw the clip that went viral as well, and it was some radio host. From what I gather, it was like a breakfast show radio host based in Vegas. Who, Bye, guys. See you, dude. Thanks for the strip show. Who clearly wasn't a punk fan, clearly wasn't savvy with their sense of humor, was just there and filmed this thing going on and was like, I am outraged by this. Put it on Twitter, and that's how it went viral it and yeah. caught fire. But the other thing that makes me cynical about a lot of these things is when I see people like that share a video or a photo or a story and go, I'm outraged, I'm offended, I kind of feel like they're doing it a lot of the time to grow their own brand and online presence yeah, and gain of followers. Of offended. Yeah. And, and Here's be- the outrage videos. Yeah. Follow me on And how, how can we get about. more listeners onto our radio show well let's get a viral video and then we can talk about it on the show and yeah and, and half the time they're just they're just hit pieces you know and it's just basically tabloid news it's like if you watch fox news you know the horrible yep. station in our country like they just released a, a this huge report that shows that if we had single-payer health care for all a national health care system it would actually save us two trillion dollars over 10 years instead of it would be cheaper than the current system. And the study was funded by the Koch brothers. K-O-C-H. These are the most evil two brothers. They're like in their 80s. They own every oil company. They're like billionaire, gazillionaires. And they're super right-wing and blah, blah, blah. Well, they funded this study from this nonpartisan, like, gnarly think tank and got the exact opposite results they expected, which said, uh, actually, national health care will save the country $2 trillion. And all the... The left, who has been screaming this for the last two years, is just laughing there, going, see? They, they backfired. It, it's proven. And you get a show like Fox on, and they're going... And what's their reaction? What do and they their get? reaction is going, ha, 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 it's going to cost $2 trillion, or $30 trillion, blah, blah, blah. And they're not reporting the rest of the story. And then so they interviewed their followers. They did a poll this morning and said, how many people of our listeners think that you know this tr- plan is going to work? It came in 85% of their listeners. And said, that's Fox yes, News. Yes, that's Fox News. Oh, my we God. fucking health care, please? Yeah. And so they're going, ah, oh, shit. You know, no one's buying it anymore. You know, they might be racist rednecks who uh, can say, hey, stay out of our country, but please, can I please have health care? <laughs> I think I'm ready for some, ready for some damn health care now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's flip the narrative. I want to talk to you about some of the positive, amazing stuff that Fat Mike has done and, and who he is as a guy, because I do feel like, I don't want to dwell on it too long, but I do feel like the response to that story, even within quote-unquote the punk community, was people going too far, that guy needs to know his limits blah 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 right. he's a piece of shit for saying that half the people but, said that and then the other half said fuck no dude this is punk rock this is what it is about being able to fucking make you know light of a dark fucking situation well that's it he highlighted the issue one sec. yeah yeah one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, the guy behind the guy, it's, you know, it's just Mike, man. He's just a little Jewish kid from a, you know, a wealthy, broken home. You know, his, from what I've come to understand, his dad wasn't around much. His mom pretty much raised him, you know. And he was super motivated as a young kid to be successful and loved punk rock and loves punk rock. And yeah, I mean, as a friend, I can say he's a wonderful friend. He really cares about his friends. You know, he feels deeply and, you know, and the the character you see of him, that's, you know, that's his alter ego. That's like his defense mechanism to like, I think personally what, I, you know, maybe hide from some of his demons, you know, I'm kind of a sad, lonely childhood. You know, I was an only child and broken home. And it's like, you know, so. But all I can tell you, you know, is whatever shit people want to talk about, Mike, or whatever. Yeah, he's a, he's a really lovely person deep down. You know, he cares about his friends. And and, um, and he takes care of uh, his bands well. You know? Always always looking for ways to come up with new ideas that to create new contact and some, do something different, do something new. And, you know, and, and try to share the profits with everybody, you know, always coming. You know, it's, it's great. What was the criteria for the track listing for the new album? Mm, well, so this was, to be clear, this was Mike's baby. He's been bugging us about this for <laughs> okay, like, right. yeah, three or four years. <laughs> He's been trying to do this, uh, get us to do this. And we were all with specifically you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were on board, but we just couldn't find the time. And we kept, uh, and then all of a sudden he's like, all right, fuck you guys. I'm the skints are doing it. We're like, all <laughs> really? right. Yeah. We're like, all right, cool. Fine. That's, you know, they'll do a good job. We just don't have the time. Best of luck. And then like a couple months later, all right, skins can't do it. <laughs> Their label won't let them do it. They still owe them another record. So can we please do this? I'm like, you know what? Can we record this record in San Francisco? And he's like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, when can we start? <laughs> I just started uh, dating my girlfriend, Heather, at the time, you know, a few months prior, and she lives up in the Bay Area. So I was like, so we'll be up there about six weeks on and off. Sounds great. <laughs> A very selfish reason for me to want to get right on the the album. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to be closer to my new girl, but uh, cash in on that sweet honeymoon period. And yeah, the honeymoon enjoy period. Enjoy a nice yeah, and holiday I was like, in it was, San Francisco Bay. It was the first time I felt like in years that I was doing the nine to five. You know, leave her house at ten. You know, get to the studio at eleven. Get home by nine, nine or ten. Hi, honey, I'm home. You know, like yeah, all right. Who did you cover today? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah, who did you cover today, man? Uh, but yeah, so then the song. Once we agreed to what do What was it. the first one you did that was like the, the seed that it all sort of spawned? I don't remember. Or did, did he just have that list ready? No, 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 no. We, it was deliberated for weeks and months before we even started. And then we got at least four or five that we all agreed on. Like we had one or two we wanted to do and he had them. And then, so I think it'd be safe to say that half the songs, I don't know exactly, but you know. A portion of them were like definitely handpicked by him, and then a portion of them were handpicked by us, and then a portion of them. So yeah, I say a third were Mike's hard picks, a third were our hard picks, and then a third of them were group decisions that we discovered together. Because we were just, I mean, I listened to oh, fuck. I, I think I listened to every. I won't even name bands, but certain bands that weren't on there, just like oh bro, we got to find that song. But the you know, we, you listen to hundreds of songs, yeah, trying to find one that would make a cool reggae song. And then like half of them will, but then you just you just become overwhelmed, and you're like, okay, there's only going to be twelve, okay, or ten, or I think it's twelve songs. But yeah, twelve, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, the list just kept getting smaller, and then it was like, okay, what are the? It's not like what are the best songs? What are the best reggae? What's going to be best for the album? You know. So, but yeah, it was a long process, and everybody was very involved, and yeah, we argued a little bit here and there, but I think everybody's happy at the end. So. There's the obviously the three like I guess most well known songs would probably be. She, Sorrow, Sorrow, and Some Kind of Hate. Some Kind of Hate, exactly. And what those covers prove for me, not only is A, how adaptable Mad Caddies as a band to make these timeless, well-known songs their own, which you do incredibly well, but also Thank what you. amazing songs those songs are in any format if done right. Exactly. Because they're so different to the originals. Totally. But so, so good. Those songs, I mean... She was a personal pick of mine. That was my actual personal pick. And I actually had to fight Mike tooth and nail to get a Green Day song on there. I'll bet. 
fucking tooth that and nail. That is kind of the black sheep his, and his, wise, It's his it? nemesis. He's yeah, like yeah, always yeah, been yeah. super competitive <laughs> yeah. with Billy Joe. You know, yeah, he's got fucking a hundred times more money than you might, but you're still a millionaire. Who cares? Like, what, man? We're thousandaires, <laughs> hundredaires. About two hundred bucks in my bank account right now. But uh, yeah, though I'm I had to fight so for fucking, it. Then. I had to so, fight so fucking hard to get that song on because it meant something a lot to me. That song. You know, Dookie was whatever. That was like my eighth grade or freshman year. It was my first introduction to punk rock as a lot of us, you know, people when that song came out or the album came out. But she was always just a, a favorite of mine. And I think it was like the fourth single on the record, fourth or fifth single out yeah. in the U.S. So that song still has so much radio play in the U.S. constantly. But it's on like, you know, the dentist office channel or whatever, the, the contemporary adult yeah. yeah, like soft hits of yesterday and today. <laughs> like she, of yesterday and today. In silence. It's like that song still played. So I'm like, everyone knows that song whether they know it or not. And that's and that song touched me a lot when I was younger. So I was like, I thought that would just be good. It's not like we're trying to help Green Day out. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. don't need the help. Have you heard we their need, response to it? What was their we response? Haven't, we haven't no? even heard anything. But like, we need the help from Green Day. Was yeah, more yeah, of the yeah. Point. And it was really cool when that song. I mean, the Green Day. That fan, was the lead-off single. Wasn't it was. It? Yeah. And we watched the Green Day message board fan sites just light up, and all of a sudden, we had like I don't know. I think like five thousand new Instagram followers in a couple of days. Really? Just like fucking wow. a just from the Green Day thing. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, boys. They didn't even. Try, yeah, just for them if, being them. If it you're putting us. out a propaganda cover. That's not going to take you guys into a new fan a base. A new is fan it? base. Uh-uh. But Green Day, Bad Religion, and uh, Misfits, for sure. Because there's half of their fans have never heard who the fuck Mad Caddies are. Most of Green Day fans haven't. Yeah. I'd say most well, Misfits Well, only because fans. they've got so many more. But as you say, have, all those right. three bands, I think, are quite outside of, of your ranch. Whereas, obviously, Tony Sly, Lagwagon, Propaganda. Sure, Bracket. These even are all, against me. like Op Ivy. Yeah. You know, these are all bands that are still part of the underground scene. Yeah, you know the worldwide underground scene. So we, my point to Mike when making this record, I'm like, hey, this this is a fun album. This is meant to let more people know about the Mad Caddies and to, to spread our positive message. So we gotta at least throw a Green Day song on there, man. And he said, okay, we'll do the Green Day, but only if you do uh, Descendants. Gene is dead. <laughs> Was that and the I'm trade off? Like, Motherfucker, Amazing. I hate that fucking song. <laughs> really, <The> song's <laughs> awful. <laughs> it was my least favorite song to do. It, it was so painful to record. I just. Yeah. Hey, it's a great cover though, dude. That's one of and my favorites. See, the and there you go. And these people are saying it. So now at the end, I'm like, okay, it's worth it. I can actually tolerate the song. Now. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. hate it anymore. It was just really frustrating to record <laughs> because we're sitting there looking at all the other Descendant songs with have these amazing three part harmonies and catchy choruses. Yeah, and we're yeah, like, yeah, we yeah. can't do the good ones. We have to do this one no one's fucking heard of. Okay, okay, it's a good trade. All right, Mike, you win, but we win. That's hilarious. <laughs> Laura Jane Grace messaged me today from Against Me, and she was like, I was so honored to have one of the songs that I wrote on that album, and they did an amazing job. And, and we've actually been recording, uh, recording. we've been rehearsing that one to try to pop it off live by tomorrow. I think we're going to be able to do the Against Me one. So that, hey, what are you doing tonight? Uh, tonight we're doing She and Nation States. Nice. Yeah. I'm not playing more than two off the Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't fucking You're not doing some space. kind of hate? Uh, no, we're going to. So yeah, good. So we're going to, yeah, we're. We learned uh, the Against Me song the last couple of days, and then the next one is uh, Some Kind of Hate. Nice. Have that ready in a few days, because that, that one's just too fun. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I don't need it to... doesn't sound like us. Like, no, it doesn't at so all. so cool. It's like sounds like some like zombie tiki lounge fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. crooner band, you know? Well, that's the perfect segue, because I don't usually go in depth kind of discussions about music, really, on this podcast. It's more just about life and, and everything else. But I wanted to talk to you about the Dirty Rice album. Because that for me has a super like New Orleansian kind of a flavor, and when I asked you at the start of the conversation how you would describe or categorize the band beyond just Scar within brass orientated music, there's so much going on. I think be sure. it jazz, be it that New Orleansian kind of was that album for you guys a specific journey into that kind of a world. The goal of that record, at least from Sasha, because Sasha is the one that brought the New Orleans sound into the band on our second record on Duck and Cover. Uh, to make a long story short, basically between quality and uh, softcore and Duck and Cover, Sasha's fucking hand was crushed by a giant boulder hiking. He went up and put his hand up, uh, and it was his right hand, his strumming hand, and a rock came loose, fell it, and crushed like 10 bones in his hand. 
And so he's got like 50 pins and metal plates and all this shit in his hand. This happened like right when the band started. And so what happened, we couldn't, he couldn't play guitar for like six months. And he had a full cast on and his left hand was fine. So what he did is he taped a, a pick to his right hand and started learning banjo. In the six months he couldn't play or, you know, was couldn't really use his right hand and totally learned to play banjo and fell in love with New Orleans Dixieland jazz. So that's, I thought it was maybe like a family or a heritage thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the Tony Iommi Black Sabbath He story. just fucking just discovered it. He got means hurt and, necessity. and he, was, he was like, you know what? Uh, since I'm sitting here, I might as well learn to pick a banjo because I've got this pick taped to my hand. So fuck it. And so he discovered, you know, Preservation Hall Jazz Band in New Orleans. And, and then the Squirrel Nut Zippers were on the radio at that a uh, little bit later with their whole kind of Dixieland jazz throwback thing. Um and then you had uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Big Big Voodoo Daddy, this yep. whole swing revival and this whole mm-hmm. jazz. You know, it was very short lived, but and, it was very popular. Swingers was a big movie. Yeah, around the movie that Swingers, time. exactly. Yep. So everybody was like zoot suiting, and you know, all these bands were like, "Oh yeah, we're Scott and Swing." And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. "Oh no, we're not Swing. Yeah. We're not trying to be the Swing <laughs> guys because that's going to be gone and... even quicker than Scott." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we play Dixieland jazz, punk, ska, and reggae. That's what we do. <laughs> and the only band to really ever claim that, like to this day. No other band has really ever said, yeah, we play Dixieland, jazz, and punk mixed. Yeah. It's like, what? Who does that? We do. So that's... Dirty Rice, I think, was we wanted to make the adult sound of stuff we were going for earlier on, you know, right. with, with the yeah, monkeys yeah, yeah. and the road rash and yeah, you know, yeah. more fun kind of stuff. We wanted to try to refine it into, you know, something more mature and something different. And so that was something we were consciously going for on Dirty Rice, for sure. Tell me about one of my favorite songs by you guys to date. The story behind it because there's certainly a story there has to be shoot out the lights you play it all the time and i'm so glad that you do and that's like a heartbreaking tune it's so beautiful and deep and soulful and and rad. i i um i'm proud to say that that's one of my favorite songs to sing in the set right now and i did not write the lyrics not one you didn't write any of the words none not one and you know it was we took so long to make Dirty Rice because we were doing it on our own time at our own studio and at our own pace. We spent about a year and a half making the record. We, and it was a big gap between yeah, the like, record yeah, prior to yeah. that and that and one. So there was a lot of pressure. We, we cycled through almost 100. Was it eight years, seven years? Something like that. And we cycled through almost 100 fucking songs in a year and a half. Like not complete finish, but like 100 ideas. And we actually finished like 30 songs. The only like put out, you know, however many were on the record. And there was lots that I wish were on there that, you know, and some that were on that aren't. But... um. Yeah, Shoot Out the Lights, Todd, had our drummer, had written the the chords, and um, a dear friend of ours, uh, Logan, he's a good friend, he's uh, played in some local bands, but never done anything. You know, he's a bar manager, never done anything musically, you know, he's a family man, does, does other shit, but never succeeded on the music end, but has written, always been uh, an amazing lyricist, I love his lyrics, and so... In the past, he helped. He collaborated with me on uh, "Last Breath." He wrote um, some of the lyrics in "Last Breath" on, on "Just One More," and uh, he just happened to be in the studio that day when Todd came up with the thing, and Logan was just hanging out and started writing these lyrics. And then, like, I came in a couple of days later. I was like, "This is fucking great! This is like, oh my god, what's this song about?" He's like gay people trying to fucking get by in a third world country. Really? I'm like, that is amazing. Yeah, that wow. song is about gay lovers hiding from the fucking people that want to fucking kill them just for their just because they're gay. Wow. And it's like... I knew there was something... I'm like, dude, that is Romeo so fucking amazing. On. Yeah, so it's, you know, whatever. A man and a man or a woman and a woman. Yeah, yeah, whoever yeah. you want it to but be. Certainly but like, it's um, forbidden love. Forbidden love. It's forbidden yeah. love. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, man, this is too good. Like, great job. So like... It's one of my favorite songs to sing every day, and I didn't even write the fucking words. <laughs> it's a deep cut. That was one yeah. of my favorite things about the Fireball Tour last year was watching you guys play that every night. And it's almost like hangover music, a lot of your stuff. Like mm-hmm. when I watch you on the Fireball Tour, most of those shows for me, I'd start the day a bit hungover, a bit tired. And right. by the time you came on, I'd be on to like my second or third beer. And that for me is right in the pocket of the where you spot. guys sit. That right. sweet spot. That it's sweet not. Spot. It's not party music. It's not like raging, going nuts, crazy music, right. and it's certainly not like introspective kind of downbeat music. But it's right between those two moments. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Of night we, and we day. Like, we like to. Say we we are here to 
make people smile, to make people dance, to make people forget about their problems and just have a good time. You know, I mean, we're an escapist band, <laughs> you know, it's uh when we rock through your town, you know, in the middle of February and it's freezing cold and there's nothing going on. That's my summer. I mean, I love summer touring, but sometimes man, when you're in the middle of winter and you get a thousand, that's people when you that need been, the caddies, I mean, you get a thousand people that have been freezing cold and miserable for months and the caddies roll through and make a summer party. And I, guess I love it. Who does your artwork? Because a big part of it for me as well is all the kind of voodoo, Mexico, Day of the Dead kind of, mm-hmm. which really encapsulates the spirit, I think, and the tone of the band as well. Who does all of that? Have you got one guy or is it? Uh, no, it's a, it's a lot of artists have worked with us, but we've definitely been heavy on the, the Day of the Dead and the Hispanic culture just because, I mean, California is 50% Hispanic. And yep. It was Mexico before we came. We grew up in our town. It was It's a little town called Solvang. It's a Danish settlement. And uh, it's a Danish village. And so I grew up with half, you know, blue-eyed, blonde, Danish blockhead, toeheads, and half Mexican kids. And we all grew up very well together. There was yeah, not yeah. any racism or any bullshit. I mean, apart from the normal schoolyard name-calling shit. Yeah, yeah, which is any, just the, kids That's being just kids. kids being kids. You might be white, whatever, yeah. Right, You're yeah. going to get shit. You're going to get shit. you got a funny sound Hey, surname. fat boy, fucking, yeah, yeah. look at those stupid shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're just kids. But no, we grew up in a really lovely, peaceful community, you know, and, and so that, and then personally, my parents, my mom is a huge fan of Mexican folk art. And when I was at a very young age, uh, they started bringing me to Mexico even before my sister was born. And so my whole childhood, I traveled every year for a couple of weeks, we'd go and travel through Mexico with my family. We'd rent a car, me and my mom, dad, and sister, and we'd go to places now that you wouldn't go to because they're, you know the cartel's a mess down there and okay because they've gotten in and yeah. just, just you know certain places it might not be safe to go to but back then man we would just drive for weeks around the mexican countryside and go to these artists homes were there and, a lot of other american people down no, there no no, so, no only in like puerto Vallarta and yeah, the tourist yeah. spots but we we're driving you in the middle of the country off road yeah yeah we're we'd go to these little villages with a thousand people because my mom had read some mexican folk art book about this artist and she would write him letters and talk to the phone with the women or men Months before this pre- pre-internet, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, how did you even find these people? It's like I read books about them and wrote them letters like we used to. <laughs> and they said, yes, come by, please. You're welcome. <laughs> and she would go and buy these, you know, blankets and um, paintings and pottery and all this stuff and was collecting it. And so I have a great, great respect and love for Hispanic um, and Mexican culture as well as, you know, Central and South America. We've traveled all around there and it's, has its problems like everywhere but the main thing is it's super super family and community oriented people really take care of each other and just kind of like the rest of the world apart from the five percent of the assholes fucking it up 95 percent of people down there just want peace and love and family but yeah that's where the art comes from we're very inspired by hispanic culture coming from california isn't it funny how i mean what do you think go on me now with this tangent if we did away with corporations and political powers and mm-hmm. just gave people the chance to govern themselves obviously it's a very idealized no it works perfect world, but... it works great and i'll tell you exactly i just watched this uh documentary it was a, a short film on this town in mexico and it's in the state of michoacan where i've been a lot i think it's in northern michoacan and it's a city of about twenty thousand people and they were being overrun by these loggers that were coming in and ra- raping their forests um, uh, raping their women, reporters being disappeared. Anybody who spoke up was being killed and disappeared, and the local politicians were in on it, and cartel was involved. And in 2011, in this city, and I, of course I can't think of the name right now, but you can look it up in Mexico, Michoacan, they made politics illegal. And they kicked out every fucking politician, every fucking cop, every fucking person that was involved in anything. In 2011? 2011 they did this. And so I just watched the update, and from 2018, I can tell you, they have not had one murder, not one kidnapping, nothing. They went back to the old uh, tribal way of governance, and a city of 20,000 people, every night, in every neighborhood, there's a bonfire. And in that little bonfire, the men and the elders, the men and women, will sit around and talk. And each neighborhood, each barrio, self-elects one representative from that neighborhood to represent them in weekly and monthly meetings in the whole community, making up a governing body of about two or 300 people, representing 20,000 people. That's pretty good. Now, and they're up for re-election every week. Every week they're up for re-election, and they're not paid. They're not nothing. They are citizen volunteers. 
from all walks of life. And anyone who comes into the town, they have to remove political stickers off their cars. No politics are allowed. They fired everyone. So we don't need a government. And guess what the police force is? Total volunteer. They cannot be corrupted because they have to answer every week to these citizen tribunals. And they volunteer as well. Each, you know, young middle-aged dude who would normally be, like, you know, of a good age to do that spends two fucking days a week out guarding the town with big-ass rifles to not let any fucking person in. And they're like, this is how we did it for our recorded history. Yeah, forever. Thousands of years. And we didn't have any problems. And so now this is catching on and every town in Mexico is starting to have this campaign. Look. The problem is just the politicians and the cartel. It's not the people. And the businesses. And the business, yeah, corporations yeah, yeah. and the politicians. Yeah. We don't need them. And the forest is growing back. They've replanted the whole forest. Everyone is, you know, they, they have weekly and, oh, and they say, well, what do you do about normal crimes? Yeah, if you beat your wife or drive drunk, it's public humiliation and uh, community service. The most effective forms if you drive drunk and crash, they're going to tie you up in the town square and everybody come by. Old school fucking, medieval style, hey, yeah. Not torture, but just yeah, yeah, put yeah, you yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Hey, the you, walk of shame. Walk of shame. It's the most effective. We do it on social media now. It's working. Yeah, Look at these yeah, racists. Yeah. Some guy calls someone an N-word and he owns a plumbing company. And two days later, his life is ruined. Yep. His business is gone. Everything's gone. Great. Fuck you. That's what you deserve. And you don't. Shouldn't go to jail for being an asshole, but you don't deserve to fucking make any money if you're a dick. And then how do you go about living when you have no friends or business left? Then it makes you think it's about how you act. And, and, then, yeah. and then you can actually rehabilitate yourself. Yeah, fully and because you have to. You have you want to, to. And you want to. And go, wait a minute. This was me. This was my beliefs that got me where I am. I am a racist, so no one wants to hire me as a plumber anymore. Perfect. Because <laughs> I certainly wouldn't hire a plumber if I knew he was a racist. You know, it should be like in your, oh yeah. Uh, and that's not to say that a racist shouldn't or couldn't plumb. No. By all means, By all can, means. I just don't, I, my. You and me aren't going to hire those people. I want to, I feel like the only thing I have left besides my voice uh, on stage and with my music and what every human has the biggest power we have to vote is with our money. Who we choose to give our money to, what businesses we do, yeah. what corporations, who you, who you what small businesses, in, who we yeah, support. decide and support. You know, everything coming and like, to, we obviously have to support some corporations. We have to have a cell phone fucking provider. We have to buy petrol. We have to fucking fly on airlines and shit like that. But it's like, yeah, I chose to go with fucking T-Mobile because they're a German company and they're not AT&T or Verizon who give billions of dollars to George Bush and Donald Trump. <laughs> and they have a better record as far as treating people fairly, paying their employees a living wage. I look at all these things when I decide who I'm going to sign up. Yeah, you you go that deep and you, fuck yeah, yeah, man! I won't give my money to evil people. I just I won't, you know. It's the last line of defense. I was chatting to Chuck Reagan on the podcast a few weeks back about people doing little things on a tiny individual basis that make that ripple effect it larger difference. And it's like it's if huge. you know you recycle just in your household, then that's gonna if right. everyone in that neighborhood did that, did it right, boom. And if everyone decides, you know what, I'm not gonna go to McDonald's anymore because the food's really unhealthy. And they don't pay their workers enough, and it's just garbage. So I, I don't go there. I haven't gone there in years. And it's it's working because McDonald's everywhere in the States are failing, and they're having to start to change their menu. Oh, By look. going healthy. Oh, look, we have an all-natural burger. We've <laughs> yeah, got yeah, vegetables. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey. <laughs> you know, if all, There's a it, funny comedian who does a bit on that. It might even be Doug Stanhope or something like that, but he's talking about if you walk into McDonald's and you see salad being advertised, you know that times are tough. Times are tough. And also, right. who the fuck goes into McDonald's for a salad? salad? Nobody, <laughs> right? But no, it is really important, and we're and we're seeing these things. And I, you know, even just reading um, recently how the huge backlash of millennials, of the old people talking shit about millennials, and then they're going, "No, we don't want your shitty products. Yep. We don't want all your stuff." We only want to support corporations with integrity and fuck you. And they're having to adjust because they're not going to these things. The millennials don't want stuff. They want experience. It's like, I don't want things. I just want to travel and be with my friends and experience love. It must be the most exciting thing for you going back to what we were talking about earlier as well about being a father is the, the excitement about watching your son grow up into the kind of person who's going to make this world a better place to inhabit. Absolutely. Which a lot of young people are doing. And I don't I don't really talk shit about young people on this podcast, but there is there was like a pocket of 
generational people i feel that just weren't contributing anything positive but now i feel like it's gone full circle again sure well because of 18 you're, below you're, you're totally like, right because it's like the first ones that got you know that are maybe let's say you know 28 to 32 now 27 even whatever that fiber they were the first ones to just basically be handed cell phones in high school yeah. be handed the internet yeah. handed twitter facebook instagram all this stuff and just feel totally entitled yeah and i don't blame them that's just what they were given it's just the situation for them. So it's easy to see how they wouldn't be as empathetic or concerned about world affairs because they were just too busy being distracted by people trying to me, sell me, them shit. But once people can kind of step back and, and, and see through the bullshit and see and that. that shit, well, it's been around since they were like five years old. So yeah, it's not yeah. that big of a so deal. Mom's on, mom's on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lame, whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think for these people, I think we have a much better chance with this younger generation, you know, and my generation is coming to power, is, is already in power. You know, the kids are the baby boomers. I'm 40 and I'm starting to see people my age be elected into local politics on a local level. So that's yeah. you know, exciting times. And, you know, we're not going to stand for any of this shit. What's but up, dude? It wasn't us. It was some guy in a Billy, some other kids it was some in guy in a Billy Joel t-shirt. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. It was just one. It was a good thing we smoked it before you signed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Sure. Going forward for you, as someone who obviously wants to be at home with his kid and lay roots, I guess, and become a family man, does the touring life for you still hold the same appeal? I love my time at home with my son and being a father, and definitely touring does not have the same appeal it once did no absolutely not <laughs> but at you can't the, argue with an honest man <laughs> but at the same time i can say that you know as a you know living the normal family father life uh, uh, sometimes can get a little bit monotonous as well too and we have a pretty good system right now where the caddies are really only gone at least with the last few years and this is what we'd like to stick to is we do two three-week tours in the summer, one June, July, and then one you know, July, August with a, a month break in between. And apart from that, we might do one more two-week tour in the fall or winter. But apart from that, we're just doing like fly-in weekends now. Okay. Like weekend so shows stuff. are still on the cards. Shows are still on. Extended it's just extended tours, tours are eh, off. Eh. Ah, yeah. Because, you know, it's just, we get, time is everything now. So yeah. it's like I can make my living going out and playing uh, four, week, uh, four days a month, two weekends, you know, be gone friday and saturday for two weekends uh, i'm home sunday you know evening you know and, the great joy in that surely must be as well and it's as, like make the same money as you would going off on a two-week tour because you don't have to hire the production you don't have to get a bus yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to hire all the stuff the flying gigs are great you know you're or fly or just drive whatever but you know you fly into denver and play denver and, and play another show in colorado you rent a little van you stay in hotels you have the venue provide you backline you just rock up with your guitars and your horns and a bag of shirts and all of a sudden you made a a wage a real wage when you take away all the production that is involved in putting on a whole tour. So, you know, and this is what a lot of bands are doing now. And it's like, great, we get to go out and have the fun on the weekends and play the shows and come home during the week and, and be a dad, you know? And that's almost full circle again, because that for me would be the most enviable position to be in because you actually get to be a stay at home dad right. and be there Monday to Friday all the day school and night. week, right. School runs. Sure. Everything. Everything. You're there. And then on weekends, like, cool. And then as he gets older, he's going to be able to uh, come along and join me. You know, a lot of the shows. Is that a moment you look forward to? Oh, absolutely. Is he yeah, be, he's, so he's, already, know, uh, he's a really good drummer already. I was going to ask you, so you know Toby Morse him. from H2O? Of course, yeah. So he takes his kid out, Max, on tour. I don't know whether you've seen. Sure. And he plays full shows of them, like drumming. Nice. Is that a... Like, oh, that's uh, a, no, our dream is like, our drummer Todd, his daughter is Charlie, and my son is Charlie. <laughs> Funny, Charlie and Charlie. Amazing. The two caddies kids. Yeah, are they really? <laughs> yeah, but you know. If they have another one, it's got to be Marley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie, and Marley. <laughs> or Barley for us. <laughs> but uh, no, she wants the, she's the singer girl. She's six. And oh, she's going to be the lead singer, our drummer's daughter. And then the lead singer's son, Charlie, myself, he wants to be the drummer. We're like, man, when the kids are old enough, we won't even have to go on tour anymore. We'll just send them out. They can be the new Mad Caddy. Hey, Gene Simmons ten, would approve of that. Right, keeping ten that years brand from now, going. Let's go, Mad right. Caddy Junior. Mad Caddy's Junior heading out, man. <laughs> you know. No, I don't. I would. I would never wish this life on my son unless it was what he wanted. I would never pressure him to do it. You know. Would you not? Because you've seen the high, the highs and the lows, and the, the good highs and, and the, the lows. Bad. I would. I would never. I would only let him do it if he wanted to. But would, if you went back in time, would you change anything? Would you go down a different career path, knowing what you know now? Fuck no. No? Hell no. It's been too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the only 
the only thing the dark side of of it is yeah being away from home back in the day too much and you know financially it's not always what it's cracked up to be and it can be really hard but on the bright side not having to show up to you know work at coca-cola every day for the rest of your life is you know is something that we take pride in at least we're doing art and can go to sleep at night knowing that we're spreading a positive message and trying to make the world a happier and a better place you know and that's the, the end goal and so I, I can take solace in that i've never needed money except you know have enough to eat and pay rent and and that's the Have beauty of being on tour is the food it. and drinks provided. Food and drink provided. So <laughs> try to take <laughs> so all those PDs home money. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final question, dude. Um, I don't know how you'd feel about this because obviously you're not maybe like a motorhead type of a band. But Lemmy once said that it's impossible to be a rock and roller once you get a wife or a family or a kid because this is like a young man's single person's game because it demands that all-in commitment to the road. What would be your take on that? Do you feel like you can be like an exciting, all-in, 200% committed, visceral, intense touring band if you do have a family? Or- oh, yeah. No, I, I would totally disagree with that. I could maybe agree with him, him at that time, maybe when he said it, but I think things have changed so much with just how fast you can get, you know, get places with yeah, flights yeah. And, and accessibility, and, and accessibility of, communication. of communication and everything. And I feel like, I play my best shows when I don't have to play more than three of them in a row. And, you know, as soon as you hit that mid stride on a tour, sure you're tight, but I don't know if I'm giving it in my all every night. I mean, I might think I am or, but I don't really know if I am because you're tired. Fatigue sets in. Once you've played a week's worth of shows, your body goes on autopilot and you don't even know what's going on. You're just like, it's all about that hour and a half on stage or hour, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, or 40 minutes or whatever it is for the night but like the rest of the time you're just circling around that just trying to recuperate trying to keep your body good trying to drink water eat food you know and um so i feel like quite the opposite i feel like we can be a better band (laughs) um by not touring as much and because you're content and you have access to luxuries whether that's material or emotional like most things that make it easier. For mostly you and- the the luxuries for us are emotional, just not having to be there as many yeah. time. And the time is what kills you. Whereas uh, when you're young, man, it's just like boom, boom, everything's just happening. Like nothing fucking matters. You know, you're just having a fun. You live in the moment. And I really try to live in the moment now too. But once you're a father and you're in your you know forty years old, there's just so much more to think about. You know, yeah, the yeah. second half of my life to plan. I got to start thinking about retirement now. Well, that's <laughs> what like, I was asking you earlier. What's the yeah. plan? Yeah, beyond well, music. No, I mean, music, music, music's always the plan. Yeah, my yeah. plan now is to, you know, uh, I'm actually going to start building a recording studio next year on my property and a destination studio. I mean, where we live is beautiful. Bands would come from anywhere to come stay on the property. You've got the location. I have the location. And, and what I've thought about so much is studios were kind of out of fashion for a while when the digital revolution came in as far as recording. Oh, we can do it anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter. When and now I think people crave now it's that. gone full circle. Anyone yep. has the technology, so now the space matters more again. Yeah, and the, the space vibe, is so important. People want to pay for the vibe and the place to do it. Yeah, and that's what I have. So I'm going to build that in the next year, and uh, it'll be and nice. You're going gonna to head the desk? Is that? Oh no, no, I'm not an engineer by any means. No, no, no. but I'm a I'm a builder. I'm an artist. Like I'm a carpenter. And yeah, I, yeah. You know, so I love building, and so I love to draw and build. So I'm going to design the whole space. And then it will be and available. Then just so, out for your bros. So, you and, know, when bands come in, you bring your engineer. You know, and I'll, maybe yeah. I'll have a guy that you know wants to be the house guy. We'll we'll see. But it, at the very least, it'll give me a space that I can record in now for free. A yeah, yeah. Space and won't have to you know spend money to go record. So that's that's gonna be a huge thing. But yeah, that's my plan. Nice. Keep dude. it up, and we you know we're just we got more music coming out next year, a bunch of it. So we're just you got a new record? Four? Yeah, four yeah. of them. Yeah, four, four. Four EPs. Say that again. Oh, okay. four albums. Oh, four, <laughs> four five song EPs. The first one's nice. recorded. We're gonna go start recording the second one um, in first week of November because we have to have the first two done before we can release the first one because they're gonna all come out three months apart and it's gonna make one album. It'll be a twenty song four disc uh, or four album yeah thing, and it's all telling one story. It's our first concept album ever. Four albums. Can we tease the concept? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 four albums, each one representing a different emotion. And so the first album is uh, called House on Fire, and it's like you know, and that's the chill out record. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, no, the second one is super chill. It's called Pain. Uh, that's the working title. I'm not sure about it, but the, the pain is the second emotion, and then the third one is Enlightenment, and the um, the third record uh, we'll probably call it Checking In. 
but most of the music is all written like it's done and it's, I'm really proud of it um, it's been the most personal thing I've ever done and um, and then the fourth one will you know be closure moving on but yeah it's 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 really cool and it each album will have a piece of one art of, of a, a single art piece it'll have a chunk on it and then when it all comes together when you have all four albums after one year it'll make the, the complete art piece nice tell the story that's great for two reasons first of all it'll look great when it's finished and secondly they have to buy all four to, to finish get it. it yeah the art the art's so. done it's it the big the painting is like <laughs> four by five sitting in my laundry room right now i still haven't even hung it my our old tour player did it it's fucking gorgeous and it's each emotion all represents like very van gogh it's all oil i mean it's first time we've ever done actual real art instead of you know just graphic art yeah this yeah is actually yeah. a piece of art that was like done so it's, it's gonna be kind of cool but yeah Fuck we're yeah. excited about that man just keep going but now music dude good talking to you man i'm sorry it's a bit of a man. jolted start with all the zh- zh- yeah, yeah, whatever. feedback but um yeah real pleasure good oh, yeah. to see you thanks matt likewise cheers She, she screams in silence A sullen riot penetrated through her mind Waiting for a sign To smash the silence with a brick of self-control Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.